A lot has been said and written about the importance of a valid will. However, it's quite surprising that many people still underestimate the sophistication required to draft a proper will. Simple mistakes can lead to litigation when a will is contested in court after the passing of the testator. To take us through some of the common pitfalls that fiduciary practitioners come across, I am joined by Ian Brink, the chairperson of FISA, the Fiduciary Institute of Southern Africa. Hi Ian, uh, what are some of those pitfalls? The use of vague and clear language, uh, this is where the, the, the use of language is often unclear as to what the intentions are of the client who wants to draft the will and can lead to discrepancies and confusion. And by way of an anecdote shared with me by a colleague of mine, I'd like to just show an example as to what happened. In this case, it was a, a will that was drafted in the United Kingdom in the UK, and it was one of the probably the shortest wills ever drafted. It purely said, all to mother. Uh, and and this, this will was actually valid because it complied with the formalities and so on, but the contest was what and who was mother. Was it the deceased's actual mother or was it the surviving spouse who we called mother throughout their marriage? And eventually the court actually ruled in favor of the surviving spouse being called mother and the fact that they were married, you know, and she eventually inherited. Um, and another uh, example that I can use is where, where I would say I bequeath the contents of my garage at the time of my death to my son. And although the intention was that the deceased inherited only the tools in the garage, he eventually also inherited the Rolls Royce that stood in the garage at the time of death. So this is one of those um, bizarre examples as to what can happen because, because of the use of vague and unclear language. There's also the issue of legal terms and uh, the knowledge of how to use them correctly. Yes, absolutely, um, Amanda. And I'm, I might just in this instance, I'd like to just refer to, say, three examples, uh, you know, of words, uh, legal terms that are used incorrectly. One of them being the usufruct, which in short is the use of the fruit, as opposed to usus, which is just the use of something. And then in the third option would be habitation, which is only the use of a property for, for living purposes. But these are all uh, personal servitudes that have to be registered against the title deed of the property, which makes it a personal servitude. Uh, and this is often not the intention. And may I just, as an example, once again, uh, just tell you about the situation where this, the testator bequeathed his farm to his son. And he gave his wife the usufruct of that. But the intention was only that she should live in the house. But the fact that she is now the usufructory means that she is entitled to the income of that farm. And this was never the intention. So one must be very clear as to what the, what the intention and the use of these legal terms uh, implies. Quite so. Ian, and then when should one um, update your will? It's very important to look at your will and revise it to to suit your changing uh, lifestyle, your 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 the, the changes that have an impact on your life, like children being born or getting a divorce, uh, that sort of thing. And maybe if we when we talk about the divorce, I can just mention this that the Wills Act actually um, allows for a period of three months after the divorce for the um, divorcees to change their wills. And why this is done is just once again, by way of an example, uh, where the husband says, I appoint my wife as the sole heir of my estate. They get divorced and two months later he passes away. The Wills Act will actually say, but in that case, 
she, the, the, the ex-wife is then no longer entitled to inherit. If he then passes, should have passed away uh, at four months after the divorce and still has not changed his will, then that ex-spouse will inherit his estate. Then obviously, obviously the, the birth of new children, when names are, are mentioned in the will, is not always a good thing because by mentioning names, you are excluding new children that are born and their names were not mentioned in the will. And on that note, what is then the best way to provide for minor children? Definitely the fact that, that, um, that any minor in, uh, heir, in other words, somebody under the age of 18, cannot handle their inheritance personally. So it's going to be handled by somebody else. And that is why we look at something like a testamentary trust, which is set up in the will for the benefit of that minor child. So any inheritance to a minor child will be kept in a testamentary trust and managed by trustees on behalf of the uh, of these minor children with certain conditions and terms and, 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 and so on that says how they have to be taken care of. If that is not done, if there's no testamentary trust, the inheritance will be paid over to the uh, Guardians Fund of the Master of the High Court. And as we all know, they don't manage farms, cars, houses, that sort of thing, but only cash, which would imply that the executor then needs to dispose of all the assets, sell it and pay over the funds to the Guardians Fund at the Master of the High Court. Ian, finally, uh, people talk a lot about the residue of your estate, but what does it mean? The residue of an estate is that which is left after the specific assets have been bequeathed and the liabilities and uh, um, administration costs within the estate has been paid for. So in other words, where the client says, I bequeath my house to my daughter, my uh, cars to my son, um, and, they, and, he, and, and, and he stops there, he doesn't say anything else. There will always be a residue, even, even if it's only cash that is left or the contents of a house or whatever. If you don't bequeath that, then it will be distributed to the heirs in terms of the interstate succession law, which says that it will be uh, your spouse, your children, that sort of thing. So there will always be a residue. One has to cater for the residue. Otherwise, it will be inherited in terms of the Interstate Succession Act. Um, Amanda, just as a wind-up on the, on the discussion, I, I need to refer to a, a court case that was done by the Supreme Court of Appeal in 2012, the Robenheimer versus Robenheimer case. Um, it is an, where the, the, the court actually said that it's a never-ending source of amaz- amazement that so many people rely on untrained advisors when preparing their wills, which is one of the most important documents they are ever likely to sign. And uh, this is by no means a recent phenomena. Wills often have to be rejected as valid, as invalid, due to a lack of compliance with prescribed formalities and so on. So it's important, I think, that one realize that a specialist professional will ensure that the will is drafted and executed in terms of the Wills Act and that the bequests are clear and concise. He or she will then see to it that the assets of the minor children are taken care of and by placing it in an accessible testamentary trust. Thank you, Ian. That was Ian Brink, Chair of the Fiduciary Institute of Southern Africa.